In the race to success, we're not all starting from the same place. Level the Pursuit seeks to fill in the gaps and provide accessible, bite-sized leadership lessons for anyone looking to improve their skills and prepare for the next step, whatever that might be. Today, we have a huge treat. We're joined by Dr. Eric Spate, who's an occupational therapist specializing in hand therapy for the Air Force. That may not sound that exciting, but Spate's job is to keep our pararescue men and our combat rescue officers in tip-top fighting shape, and he does a great job of it. Today, we're going to talk about his decisions growing up and getting his education, moving forward, and how he got to where he is today. And he has some advice for how you can get there too. This week, think a little bit about the decisions you've made over the last five or 10 years. Are you on the right track? And if you're not, how can we get there? So Eric, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So I said it's an honor and privilege to uh, be on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so going to be so cool. Okay, so we are going to talk today a little bit about your journey in leadership and kind of some of the things you've encountered and how you, your personal leadership philosophy and how you look at approaching finding success, however you might define that. Okay. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay. Well, let's, let's start with kind of way back. You know, we've talked a little bit about how you grew up in the past. And um, so how did your childhood influence how you look at success now? Did it, did it help you to define what success looks like or how you know when you get there? Or did it push you in a, in a direction for how you decided to pursue that? Um, I want to say that my childhood was everything. Um, to build, you know, who I am um, as a person and my definition of success. My childhood, as you know, we talked before, um, I grew up poor. Um, so a lot of times success is having a lot of money and not being in a situation that you're in. But then as you mature and go through certain things, success is defined a whole lot differently. So my definition of success in my 20s was far different in my 30s. And so it's totally defined um, how I view success, you know, versus when I was younger, it was like having cars, having houses and that sort of thing. But as you get older, it's just, hey, I have a, you know, my family's safe. Um, we have everything we need and everything we want. We're successful. <laughs> we don't, you know, we don't want or need for anything at this particular point. So we're successful as far as that goes. So definitely that it's a reflection upon, you know, how I grew up and what things I wanted to not have continue um, from that standpoint. So when, <laughs> when I was a kid, I joke about this. When I was a kid to me being rich, I, I thought was having lots of different flavors of beverages in the refrigerator. <laughs> Because all we really had was like milk and water. And so if you come to my house, I have sodas, I have jaritos, I have, I have four different kinds of beer. Like I always have beverages because to me, that's luxury. And so is right. there anything like that for you where when you were a kid, you're like, I'm going to have this? Yes, that, I mean, having, just having stuff there and having things when guests come in just to be able to offer. But then the other part uh, is funny. Uh, me and my wife had talked about this was, I definitely looked at success as being able to shop at Whole Foods. If you can shop <laughs> at Whole Foods, you're successful. 
<laughs> and not was, look at the price of the cheese. <laughs> not, not look at the prices. Just go there and be like, okay, I'm getting this. Um, uh, I'm getting this. I'm getting that. Um, so then it gets to a point where it's like, you know, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I can find this somewhere else. But uh, yeah, that was definitely having certain things in the refrigerator at all times or in the cabinet and being able to go to Whole Foods. That's definitely <laughs> a lovely... I'm sure Whole Foods is so happy to hear this right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or it's by its other name, Whole Check. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> so, you know, you have a lot of education. Um, yes. Was that something that was emphasized growing up or how did you decide to pursue the education that you have? I mean, there's, there's not a lot of people in our country choose to go from being poor to being doctors. And, and I, and I empathize, I, you know, I'm in the same, same boat and I don't know that I did. Did you have somebody telling you like that you had that potential and, and, and pushing you to go and, and get all that education? Um, not really. I mean, I knew I wanted to at least get a bachelor's degree. I really didn't have any ambition beyond that. And so what kind of pushed me, so I enlisted right out of high school um, because I didn't have the money to go to college right away. So one of my, you know, being a a private, you know, the lowest person, I saw this other girl that was in my unit. She was like going to school all the time. It's like her free time was that's all she did. And I saw like she was getting promoted and it was like, wow. I mean, we came in at the same time and she had already excelled me two ranks already because she was doing these things. It's like, Oh, you know, education leads to success um, in this way. And I, and I saw other areas and I saw what was the difference between the 24 year old Lieutenant and me as a 24 year old E4 was this person had a degree. <laughs> and so it was like all these different things showed me that some levels of success uh, was based on your education. This person didn't, you know, wasn't any better or any smarter than me. They just happened to go get this education and it provided them a baseline for an opportunities that you probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So yeah, that was one of the things that kind of like pushed me in a sense. And then as I started to get into it, it was kind of like, it became addictive. Um, I just, I enjoy learning. Um, and that just became a habit. It's, it's like people just like, okay, when are you going to stop? And it's like, it just became a habit to learn. And I still have a, a thirst for learning new things and doing different things. So it's hard to kind of turn it off and, I know my wife was like, this is it. You're not getting any more. You're done. <laughs> so uh, that, you know, I have to, you know, channel my energies to other things. But it just became a thirst for learning more so than it was some goal that I had early on. I love that. That's amazing. So did you have a relationship with this young uh, private also? Did, did you guys talk about education which or did you just see that happening besides which did you get mentorship from her directly or just indirectly indirectly um we were we came in together and i knew her Um, we didn't have any type of uh like real personal relationship but i just knew it was like i always see her like we get off of work and like us you know 
young, you know, military people was like, hey, we're going to go, you know, party and do all these different things. But this person is like, hey, you see her put on her clothes and she go, she's going to class. And it's kind of like, oh, man, she don't, she don't do anything fun. But <laughs> she, <laughs> she was about her work. And as I said, like, she got promoted early to the first rank. And then the next one, of course, you know, everything is, they'll do it based on merit. And I mean, she was not just, she just didn't have her education. She did other things too. So she was just about her work. So, you know, just watching, I'm always a watcher of other people and especially when they're successful, what are they doing that's making them successful? So I'll, you know, take all tidbits, you know, you don't have to tell me directly. I can see, oh, okay, this is what you're doing. And if it's something that I can do, then I'm going to try it too. And then you just never know what takes, uh, how things are going to take form for you. So it's just like that took on. And then, you know, again, talking to other people, just seeing uh, that, you know, that mattered um, in some form or fashion. And then understanding too, that this is something no one can ever take from you. No one can ever, you said, it doesn't make you smarter. It doesn't make you better than anyone else. It just, one, I just had a thirst for learning. And then two, it did provide me um, opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. That's awesome. So you said something that I think is really interesting and I hadn't thought about it before, but it really resonated that you didn't, she didn't mentor you directly, but you watched and you watched what was the people around you to see who was successful and how they did it and why it worked and maybe why it didn't sometimes. So how often in your life have you had, have you used that technique or, and how many times have you had actual mentor? Like when did you start having actual mentors or did you rely on kind of watching what's around you for a long time? I'm always a watcher. I'm always watching. Um, To this day, I watch and learn from different people, um, good and bad. So indirectly. So going back to that same time period, I had um, an NCO um, who she was sitting balancing her checkbook one day and I just happened to glance over her shoulder and saw the numbers and was like, wow, like you have that much money, you know? (laughs) And she was like, yes. And you can too. You need to save your money and you need to do this and do that. And she like told me, this is what you need to do. You know, a lot of you young guys, you know, spend your money and do all these things, but you need to save, you need to do this and do that. It's like, Oh, so I went back and, I took her advice and I started saving him before. And I was uh, stationed in Korea at the time. So before I left Korea, I set a goal. And before I left Korea, you know, I had like, you know, for an E2, uh, I left there. I was an E2, E3. I think I was an E3. I left there with like $3,000 in my, you know, savings account, which was huge for me. And it's just like, oh, okay, saving. Okay, that's something because I didn't learn that. Usually I grew up and didn't have money. So it was like, you spent it when you had, I mean, because that's all you had. And this fast forward to being an officer, I had this uh, new flight commander and he came in and the, the way he was a whirlwind in a sense, he changed everything the way things were. And to me, he was a micromanager. Like, like every detail mattered. And it's like, if you didn't give him something that he want, he would come and he was like, really, really. And 
he never asked us any questions. He just, he just moved the way that he moved. So to me, like I said, it was like kind of like micromanagement, but then I understood it's like, Hey, this guy is responsible. He's the one that holds a responsibility for anything that happens here. So it's, it's his baby if it breaks. So why not? Like if he's the one that's responsible and, and he's the one that's making a decision, I'll just go do, but I would ask him questions like, why did you do this? Or why did you do that? And it made sense. He was like, when I asked a question as to why are we doing things this way? And everyone's answer was because that's how we've always done it. Then there's no reason for us to do it. So let's fix it and do it the right way or we won't do it at all. That makes sense. So <laughs> then we fast forward on and then he like uh, a bunch of us. So like we had, it was like four um, other officers that was underneath uh, this commander. And we were all like feeling the brunt of his kind of micromanagement, always like, like every single thing, like, where is this? Where is this? Where is this? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to over deliver. So I would just over communicate with him. I would go in his office, knock on his door. Hey, sir, just following up with you on such and such, such and such. This is where it is. Da, 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 da. Then any other questions for me? Nope. Okay. Then I go to my desk, just following up on our verbal conversation. This is where things are. I'll have an update for you by tomorrow. And I just kept doing that. So what happened was he stopped asking me. So the funny thing is one of my other counterparts, he was like, he came in my office one day, frantic was like, man, is, you know, Colonel D still doing this for you? If he, is he still like, and I was like, nah, he hasn't done that to me for months. He's like, well, he's still doing it to me. Like what, why did he stop doing it for you? I was like, I kind of figured him out, you know, he is big on communication. So I over communicated with him and he doesn't ask me questions anymore. He knows that I'm going to just go do. So that's kind of how things changed. That's it's great advice. I mean, it's so part of it is just communication in general, but part of it is learning to read your boss and make sure you're, you're helping them with what they need. When did you start actually using mentors? Like when did you find your first, no kidding, this person is my mentor? So my first official mentor was, uh, I was a lieutenant. We had this uh, professional development where, and this series uh, that they did, you know, for, for officers. And we had this retired colonel who came in and gave us a brief on OPRs and understanding how all of that meant and how to write them and stuff like that. And she said, Hey, if you ever have any questions, she worked in our uh, med group. So she said, if you ever have any questions about these kind of things, you know, please, you know, come on down and, you know, come see me. This is my office or whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to (laughs) go. So I just took it upon myself to go talk to her. And she gave me so much advice. Like I, you know, gave her my first OPR and all of these different things and would ask her about certain things that were coming up. And she's like, oh, you have you, you know, heard of the CGOC? You need to be on the CGOC. So I found myself like once a week going to talk to her. And then every day I check in with her and she just became kind of like my unofficial mentor. And that's just kind of how that developed. And then. Then I started to learn from other, again, kind of 
indirectly from other people, just taking little things that they did, how, how they wore their uniform. Like our, our wing commander, whenever we had a commander's call, this guy was like, his uniform was crisp all the time. Just, I mean, like tailored. Totally squared away. Um, total, to every single, from his, his cover to, every, I mean, his boots, everything was always squared away. And I'm like, okay, he's an 06. Um, he's in charge of all, and this is how he looks, and this is where I want to be. So let me follow what he's doing. And just so happened I got some time with him, and I actually told him that I, I watched him from afar. I watched how he came around and talked to people, how he was, like, so personal. Um, I saw him at the gate checking ID cards one day. It's like, so he, and he always talked about this, being a servant leader and that sort of thing. It was like, huh, what is that? <laughs> Research what a servant leader is. So it's like all these different things that when I picked up something, if I ever get a chance to kind of like talk to people and I'll always go back to them and, you know, say, Hey, I learned, I learned this from you uh, and go back. And before he left, this is a funny story. Before he left, he always said, uh, keep in contact anytime. So I ran into a, a, a close friend and he actually, uh, we were talking about him cause we, we both knew him. I said, hey, do you know so-and-so, so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I knew him. I was like, man, he was a great leader. I learned all these things from him. Before he left, he actually told me, hey, keep in contact anytime you ever need anything. He said, have you ever reached back to him? I was like, nah. I'm like, he's a, he's a two-star general now. I was like, oh, he's a two-star. You know, he's like, he's unreachable, that kind of thing. There's no way. Uh, he's like, no, if he said it, he meant it. So you should, like, reach out to him. So I was like, huh. I think I'm going to do that. So I sent him an email last week, sir, just wanted to reach out and say, you know, hello, I thought about you, was talking about talking with a colleague about you and just wanted to say, hey, a lot of the things that I learned while watching you, I still do to this day. And I just wanted to continue to give you credit for that sort of thing. Thank you for everything. So he sent me an email back and said, hey, Eric, so great to hear from you. I see you got your doctorate in 2020. I'm so proud of you. And I was like, I never told him. <laughs> he looked you up. He looked me up. Um, so just, again, I'm learning. Again, he's constantly teaching without teaching. So that's just something that I, that is I awesome. ask people. That is awesome. Yeah. So um, about three or four episodes ago, I did one on mentorship. And one of the things I said was, hey, you know, if you've had a mentor, reach out to them and, and say, hey, and see what's up. And so I did it too. I, I texted one of my first mentors in the military and just wanted to say, you know, thank you for being a good leader. You were a great example to me. I, I really appreciated you. And she texted me back and said, you have no idea the impact you made on me. You were such a great follower. I felt so supported by having you on my team. Like, and I had no idea. I felt like a dumb captain. Like, I, it didn't occur to me <laughs> that the fact that I had so much respect for this, this woman, this amazing leader, it was just really cool for her. Like, it didn't occur to me as a follower that I was having a positive impact. It was, it was a neat feeling. So I'm sure that you made him feel that way too because, 
you know, someone that takes time with their appearance or those little things that you take time for, people never notice the things that are important to you. They notice the different things. So, you know, if he was squared away with his uniform, he took the time for that. So, you know, that, you know, that resonated with him that someone noticed because <laughs> that's the kind of stuff people don't really talk about. Right. So, you know, you, you've attained, as you said, a ton of success. You are, you know, a successful military officer. You are a doctor. You have a happy family. But there's no way you got from where you started to where you are without having some hurdles. Um, what are some things that you overcame that, you know, you feel formed how you think about things or that were just really, even as you look back, important failures or important hurdles that you had to get over? I think the, the biggest, and I still work on this to this day, is communication. Just being able to be okay with conflict. Um, sometimes, well, earlier, you know, I would always avoid, you know, certain confrontational situations. And it would, over time, just continue to, like, bother me. Like, man, I wish I had said this. Or I wish I had stood up for myself in this regard. Uh, and, or I wish I had said this, but I, I, I kind of just like somebody asked and I just kind of avoided like, oh, no, it's okay, whatever. So I found that as I stood up more and, and kind of said more and, and just voice my opinion sometimes, it's like, oh, that's, and it's always great, especially when, a lot of times, like you're in a meeting and somebody says something and you're like, God, I should just do, you know, and then you don't say anything. And then somebody else says it and it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do this. It's like, that was my idea, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I should have spoke up and said this, you know. So I, I think that that was something that I had to get over being OK with having a voice. Do you, do you think that that is your personality? Do you think it's cultural? Like, why do you think, do you think it has to do with your appearance? Do you, I mean, is there, why do you feel like you, was that, was that how you always were growing up? Were you away from conflict or did the professional getting into professional situations breed that? It, it was, a, I would call it an evolution. It was, I think part of my, it was part of my personality that developed. It wasn't something that I always did. So it was, it's been an evolution. Definitely not has always been a part of, I mean, going all the way back to high school, um, I was um, on the football team and I remember uh, a situation where, so our, my senior year, we were in the playoffs and I was the QB one for the entire week, had many, you know, well, I had a few people that were looking at me for possible college scholarships. And me and the coach, the head coach didn't get along. All of the other coaches, we were great, but we just didn't get along at all. He just didn't not like me. So what he did was, like everyone knew that I was starting I was running, I ran the offense all week and then we get to the game and he switched right before the offense takes the field. He switches me with the second string quarterback and everybody is shocked. Like, and we lose the game. 
And I cried like a baby. Like this was so like, and, but I never said anything. And so the coach at the end of the game, like he called up because this last game of the season, we're done now. Last game, senior year, don't, didn't college recruit, uh, recruiters were there to watch me play. And I didn't play one down. And it was like heart wrenching. And then he slightly apologizes to me at the end of the game. Um, And it's like, it's, I wanted to say so much, but I didn't. Um, And, and I, I, I should have demanded answers as to why this happened to me. Like you just, to me, high school scene, you know, I'm thinking this is my only chance out of the situation that I have and you ruined it for me. Uh, so, and I didn't, I didn't say anything and I always regret it not saying something. So that's again, evolution. You keep having things happen and over time, how are you going to change? Um, be the change you want to see. So you just do things differently. Well, you, so you are a tall athletic, you know, you're a big guy, you know, you have a deep voice, you have a commanding presence. You know, I, I am as a tall, loud woman, <laughs> you, you know, you have this, when you have a physical presence, you can see people react to that. And so that can be difficult to engage in conflict and realize when people start to shrink, you're like, okay, now what do I do? And then it's, it can be easier not to engage at all because people can't handle what you're bringing to the table. Have you encountered that? Oh, all the time. I, it, it's more so, uh, it was, it's been more of a recent recognition that I've had about like my presence, um, because of even the state of the world, there's, there's certain things that are, when you first see me, my stature, my voice, my appearance, it can be intimidating for a lot of people. And at first I'm kind of like, that's their own insecurities they have to deal with that um it's not my problem that they're intimidated by something i say or something i do but in certain situations i have to be mindful of that and carry myself differently or change how i might say something so i'm more conscious of that as i you know rise but at first it was kind of like hey i'm a young you know like my rank and that sort of stuff people just don't yeah it doesn't matter i I outrank you so (laughs) <laughs> but I'm, I still speak my voice. But as I move up, especially um, becoming a field grade, coming to the field grade ranks, it's kind of like, hey, you got to kind of watch what you say because it doesn't matter if you're right or not. It's how you look and how it was said is going to people may view it a little differently. So, yeah, I've had to change my voice um, based upon the situation so many different times instead of just being myself. Um, being able to be funny at times, be sarcastic. I'm very sarcastic. So uh, using, changing my sarcasm because somebody may view my sarcasm as, Hey, he's serious and he's, you know, doing this. And because of his rank and stature, being sarcastic is not uh, viewed upon gracefully by people beneath you. So, or underneath you uh, um, rank wise and structure wise. So yeah, I've had to change how I do things with certain people a lot. And I don't, I'm not always successful with that either. So I make a ton of mistakes uh, when it comes to that. And sometimes I catch it and sometimes 
my wife catches it and tells me because I'll <laughs> repeat, <laughs> repeat the story to her. It's like, why did you say it that way? Why did you say that? Did you say it that way? So, yeah, I have to constantly. So I always seek feedback um, on those situations because I know I'm, I probably did it the wrong way most times. Dude, I, I found in command um, sarcasm, which is my favorite form of humor. <laughs> sarcasm is really a small group humor. Smart, small, and and for me, that's just a general rule. In a big group, when you can't, when you don't know everybody well enough to have that type of relationship, it is just safer because it sounds really negative. If someone doesn't know you, it sounds really, it can sound ugly, it can sound negative. So, for me, sarcasm is reserved for my my circle because um, in a mixed group, um, you just don't know how people are going to interpret it. So I had to learn that one the hard way as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm writing that one down. <laughs> reserved for a small group. I'm telling you, because you know how I actually saw it? So I didn't realize it for me. I saw one of my fellow officers who I had respect for, and I thought he was a good dude, and I thought that he was, I thought he was really funny. But when we were in big meetings and he would use sarcasm, it sounded so negative. And a lot of times it was because it was talking about big systemic changes that we were dealing with that were very frustrating to people. But the sarcasm actually really broke down morale and sounded very, you know, this, this high ranking person saying these very negative things, which in a small group would have been fine. But the impact to some of the junior people was like, wow, okay, I need to, I need to be cognizant of that myself because I'm sure I do that. And I don't want my people to feel that way. So it was a, it was a pretty big deal. So uh, <laughs> with all the stuff you've done, you, I mean, you've had a lot of successes, but I'm sure you've had some failures. Is there anything, any point that you would go back to and make a different decision or something you look back on and you wish you had done differently as far as the outcome to where you are now? It's funny because I think that I ended up where I was supposed to be. Um, but I would have gotten here a lot sooner if I had did and, and the one thing I can kind of go back to is um, I knew when I separated from the military, you know, from my enlisted time, I knew I wanted to come back in someday and become an officer. I knew I wanted to go to school already. So I had started school. So I got right before I separated, I got a call from a local detachment commander of an ROTC unit. And she said to me, and I remember plain and clear as day, like it happened today, I need NCOs like you to come into my attachment. Uh, your experience in that would bring so much. Uh, and you can come in and we'll, we'll get you an ROTC scholarship and all these other kind of things. And you can come back in. And I was like, nah, I want to <laughs> I want to explore the civilian thing for a while. You know, I wanted to grow my beard and, you know, <laughs> just not have to do PT uh, and that sort of stuff. And you mean do someone else's PT? Because I know you were still working out. I'm still. Yeah, I'm still working <laughs> out, but not that way. I just wanted to kind of do my own thing. And it was probably one of the dumbest decisions I probably think I ever made. Because one, I would have been retired by now. Uh, two, I would have financially because I did have my GI bill and everything financially 
if I had did that, getting the scholarship and still having my GI Bill, I wouldn't have had to work as hard as I did. So I choose, I chose <laughs> the most difficult path and it took the longest time uh, because I, I really didn't have a plan. I kind of just thought everything would just fall in line because that was one of the things that, you know, coming in the middle, you kind of have this confidence that you can kind of do anything, but I wasn't totally confident and I didn't have a plan. So that was kind of, that's the kind of the fork in the road that I wish I could go back and change because things would have been so different if I had done that. Yeah, I could see that. I still think sometimes the difficult path gives you the best lessons though. So I think, you know, you might not have turned out as awesome as you went, as you did have your wonderful wife, have your family, you know, all the goodness you have. So that's what I tell myself. Cause I took the long way a few times too. <laughs> so if you could go back to 17 year old Eric or to someone now who's 17 and trying to figure out what they want to do, what would you tell them to, to focus on or how would you steer them to try to find their way to success? One, have a plan, but then I wish I could go back even further because I think that for me, I don't think I was prepared as much as I should have been. So if I could go back, I would go back even three or four more years to like the freshman Eric and talk to him and hey, you need to take these first three years of high school seriously. Take these don't the most the easiest courses, take the harder courses. They're going to prepare you for what's ahead of you. Um, and but if I only could go to the 17 year old me, I would say don't always choose the easiest path. Um, make sure that because you choose the easier path when you get somewhere that's difficult, you don't really know how to navigate it. So don't always go the easy route. Make sure that you get mentors. Hey, these are the kind of people that you need to have in your life. Uh, these are the kind of the people who are going to tell you the truth and not what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear and listen to that advice. Don't shun it away. Um, not surrounding yourself around people who think like you. Sometimes you need people who have diversity of thought. That's going to always, you know, challenge you and move you to a different direction, you know, different plateau. So I think that those are some of the things right off the bat that I would probably tell myself at that younger age. Cause I think that the people usually surround the people surround yourself with people who think and act like you and there's no diversity of thought whatsoever. You all think alike. <laughs> you all do the same things. You don't excel or push each other. So I think having people around me to push me. I had some pretty decent friends, but everybody had their, we were all on the same page to some degree. So having smarter friends, you know, we always looked at the nerdy people a certain way, but Hey, a lot of those people who were nerds in high school are very successful today. So, <laughs> so, Hey, I, I would have had more of those kind of friends instead of looking at them. Hey, you're stupid spending so much time studying and doing all this other <laughs> kind of stuff. Hey, I'm a C student and I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> so 
where is Eric Spate going to be in 10 years? Retired one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to uh, start a nonprofit. I want to um, actually just what we're talking about, reach those that are at the, who feel like they don't have anyone for them who probably need that push or just this little bit of information for two years. I've sat on the, the Senator in this different here, here in New Mexico, Senator Heinrich's uh, Academy review board. So we interview all of the candidates for his uh, Academy nomination. And it wasn't until sitting on this board that I found that you have you ever heard of the Merchant Marine Academy? Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I didn't know about the Merchant Marine Academy is the fact that if you go to the, that academy, you have the choice of commissioning in all of the other branches. Did not know that until I sat on this uh, panel. Uh, but And I know that there's a lot of other people and a lot of the, the kids that I interviewed for the uh, nomination, congressional nomination, didn't know that either. They had one choice. You had one say, hey, I only want to go to the U.S. Military Academy. That's it. It was like, well, what happens? Because he only has one nomination. And most of the time that nomination goes to the person that had the highest GPA and the highest uh, test scores. So if your scores, what's your plan B? Oh, well, I'll probably go to this or that or try for this because or try again next year or whatever. Well. Not many select the Merchant Marine Academy because they think that they have to go into Merchant Marines. It's like, no, if you graduate from here, you can still go and become an Army officer, which is what your ultimate goal is, or an Air Force officer if you decide, or you know, a naval officer, whatever you decide. So it's having that kind of information, bringing a bunch of minds together and going back to those schools and those neighborhoods where people don't have access to information like this and giving them opportunities that they wouldn't have normally known about is definitely something I want to do. Um, And I would love to do it back in my hometown. That would be like the icing on the cake to be able to go back there and find the young me that was there that just needs a push or some advice. So that's where I want to do. I love it. Have you started creating the plan? Have you created your 10-year plan to get there? Somewhat. Uh, Me and my wife are actually talking about it because she's actually like looking at punching here. So she'll punch before I do. So we'll probably get something started here in the next few years of just getting the groundwork of of it together. Because it takes, I don't want to just wait until that time for like, okay, let's start. And then it takes another two, three years to get it going. But the plan right now is to start the nonprofit. And once the nonprofit gets started, then kind of going towards finding uh, the board of directors and getting money to kind of get people together and that sort of stuff. So I kind of have the the first five years prior to that kind of planned out. So it's just a matter of just pushing the button and getting it started. That's amazing. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with and what kind of successes you have. Thank you. So Eric, that brings us to our end. Thank you so much for spending the time with me. Uh, This was great. And uh, I think that I learned a lot. Hopefully the people listening learned a lot because it was really fantastic. 
Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we wrap up? Thank you again. Um, this was <laughs> awesome to be a part of and hope that the information in this was valuable to someone. Uh, and I, again, I can't thank you enough for having me as your guest. So thank you. It was my pleasure. So that's been our talk with Dr. Eric Spate. It's been great to have him here. There are a lot of different ways to get to what we define as success and really no one can define it for you. So you get to decide when you get there. There are a lot of places in our lives where our paths can diverge or take us in a different direction. So it doesn't make it wrong. It just might mean that you took the long way around. This week, look back at your last five or 10 years. Are there any decisions that you would have liked to do differently? If there are, is there something you can do now to get yourself back on track? If not, then you're in great shape. Keep moving forward. Make sure your goals are on track. And then look at the next 10 years to make sure whatever it is you want to accomplish, you've got a plan. Thanks again for joining Level the Pursuit. While we can't choose where we start, we can choose our dreams and how we pursue them. Remember, success is a team sport and there's room for all of us to achieve our goals. So be a good leader, be a good follower, and do something great.